Kent and Wilma are going to be going forth with Bakatara. Anyone else? <laughs> this is the the uh, new moon night so that this he said there's no moon see no moon no moonlight And we realize that this is the uh, uh, last two weeks of this uh, two-month retreat. What is retreat? It's all a memory now, isn't it? Christmas time, New Year's, beginning of the retreat, January, half of February has passed. The time flies. <coughs> The perceptions of things don't tend to get stuck. We tend to perceive things as more in this, more in static ways. Don't we? The perceptibility to perceive gives us this sense of permanence or stasis. So we think of things as being uh, kind of fixed and certain and secure in themselves. But on, that's why. When we contemplate anicca or impermanence, we we we're looking at the way it actually is, the way the the the, the sense realm, the conditioned realm really is. It's a flow of flux, ongoing. Things arise and cease, change, continuous change, and yet the the ignorant heart of a human being wants to hold on to kind of make stop the stop it from changing or or trying to make it into some some idea that we have uh, where we can some ideal utopian ideal where we can create this perfect society and and make it stay that way isn't it this idea of of creating this perfect form and then making it uh, permanent and to keep it in uh, going is an ongoing permanent experience but on reflection we see that that's there's no way that that is possible that's why we, we oftentimes look towards the future all the time is when I get this when I achieve that when I attain this when I own that when I have bought my own home when I have all the things I need and get my degrees, my professional qualifications, have met the right person, happily married with family. The idea of, of a kind of a permanent relationship and this ideal situation where, where one is going to live happily ever after, the kind of Cinderella fairy tale vision meet the right person and live happily ever after. But when we contemplate the death, as they of our own parents, 
like that with my own parents. They, they, they were married over 60 years, and it ended in uh, my father grieving and uh, not wanting to, to separate from the love, even though the uh, existing conditions were pretty desperate, such as a 90-year-old body that was in not in very good shape and in a lot of pain. But hanging on to, uh, uh, remember Mr. Uh, what are those old couple in Stedham? Hmm? Gilberts. Mr. Gilbert, just wanting his old wife to live on and on, even though she was racked with pain, physically just uh, in continuous arthritic pains, he wanted her he wanted us to chant for her so that she would get well and they could go and live forever in this kind of, like they used to when they were younger, the good old days. If you could just maybe chanting or if there's new kind of medical treatment or <coughs> full body transplant or something like that, you could, you could go on for 50 more years in the way that you, you, you walk and like and remember. But then when we reflect, all that is mine, beloved, and pleasing will become otherwise, we, it's not a reflection most people make in life, is it? Tell me you'll be mine forever. No. Say that till the end of time, eternity, our love will last through eternity. Those, love, those kind of, those... Uh, mellow, dramatic love songs and kind of violin music. And our love will last for eternity. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lovely vision, not to be cynical, but, but we recognize that, that uh, but that's not the way things are. That's not how things really are. That's that's uh, my that may be how we would like it to be. But in our efforts now to really come to terms with the flow and the and the way life is, and we're we're not putting uh, we're not saying it should be any way at all. We're just recognizing the way it is. And yet something, and it's also intu intuitively, there is a, there is a kind of sense behind the sense, a knowledge of eternity. The mystery that we're involved in. It's not, it's not to just see it in terms of, of absolute negation that the conditioned realm or eternal love or these things are just uh, uh, kind of uh, illusory sentiments of the human heart. But all of these, this uh, idea of eternal love, or our love will last for eternity, taken, o taken out of its context of the desires, and personal desires, maybe that's the ultimate reality. 
isn't it? Something in us responds to that the the benevolent goodness and beauty that we can only kind of intuit or kind of sense in some vague way. Get in touch with the more we 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 kind of relinquish our habitual natures and grasping tendencies begin to realize a realization, an ineffable realization of bliss, of happiness, of love, but not in, in a way that we we can, uh, that we think of it uh, as, uh, or perceive it in a condition uh, to the conditioned mind. The Buddha made a statement very clear that he's teaching the middle way, not the eternality uh, of the of a soul or a condition or a place or a thing that is eternal, or the uh, nihilist or annihilationism of nothing at all, just total kind of oblivion, blank oblivion. So the the way to get in touch to get to to towards get toward that realization is through say mindfulness non grasping of the conditioned realm seeing clearly realize the realization of the way it is and so you, you can see in your own uh, experience of life how much you you create a world that isn't real around yourself, about yourself, about others, about Amaravati, about Britain, about everything. I mean, we live in a in in a world, a false world usually that is that is that is out of touch with reality. Just a sense of me as a person and me and mine and the conditions of our mind, the the cultural conditioning is based on, on that illusion, on the kind of seemingly kind of relatively absolutizing uh, of the, the absolutizing of the relative, of uh, the ability to perceive, grasp perceptions that make a perception seem kind of permanent or long-lasting or real. Where intuitively we begin, we're working from through mindfulness, uh, realizing that the very ability to perceive is is a condition of the mind, not to be despised, but it certainly, as an end in itself, can only lead to despair and disappointment. It's the the disillusionment, the embittered cynic, the uh, the ex-idealist, isn't it? The person that was filled with these uh, high-minded ideals of how things should be ends up as a as a bitter cynic, oftentimes, taking on the holy life. Then is like the going forth the bapachar. Is is the most significant. Uh, 
commitment. Because it's in that sense of going forth into the unknown, the unpredictable, the uncertain, not looking back. There's always this the idea of looking back, looking like uh, Lot's wife, looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah and burning, longing, thinking of those days are gone forever, oh dear, and turning into a pillar of salt. Never quite why a pillar of salt, but it's obviously a, a kind of useless thing, isn't it? Stuck. Kind of I can't imagine much use of a pillar of salt. Just a useless thing that can't go anywhere, can't go forth or can't go back. We're just stuck in a in a kind of pointless, meaningless limbo of the mind. That's where a lot of you get stuck, isn't it? In a kind of pillar of salt mentality. You can't really let go of the world and just leave it all behind. And you can't go back to Sodom and Gomorrah anymore and have a good time. Go back and enjoy because Sodom and Gomorrah, you realize, are burning. But you, you still long for the, maybe the, the pleasure, the security, the, 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 the illusoriness of, that, say, that a, a uh, convincing, deluded life can, can give us. Because going out into the unknown is terrifying. But the idea of what? What's going to happen? Now, don't idealize monasticism either, thinking that uh, some people feel that, that, that even our life is too secure. In fact, that we, we, uh, we actually live quite nicely and take a lot for granted, can't we? And living here in Amravati Chitturst. But remember that mainly we're not so making such a big thing about the material side of it. It's, the, the, it's established on the uh, alms mendicancy and people uh, were living in a fairly affluent society. So, uh, and people seem to, to gravitate, to want to support, want to help this in its, uh, say, material development at least. But it's the unknown in the, in the heart that I'm really concerned with. I don't care about how, you know, how, uh, about the material side so much. Don't make problems about that. But the willingness to, to look into the unknown. The, to be receptive to the mystery to what you can't possibly know. Standing naked in the in the in front of that mystery, you know, without any kind of I don't think you have to go out and actually stand naked. Especially in a cold night like this. 
But the but the uh, symbolism is accurate, isn't it? This uh, nakedness always implies that everything stripped away. There's nothing nothing left of yourself there. Just the uh, just the bare body, exposed and vulnerable to everything, to the mystery. That there's no no defensive armor, nothing to hide from. Just total uh, vulnerability to a great force, an unknown, a mystery. No, this 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 rather frail. Uh, form that we have, the human body, standing exposed, without defenses, without resort. Except the, the uh, trust, the three refuges as in the Buddhist symbols, that confidence and trust, faith, Sada, then allows us to go forth like that into the unknown. Not kind of blind belief or just uh, kind of, uh, you know, an on thought, on kind of reckless spirit that just impulsively does something. That's not what I'm asking or recommending. But, but the. A, a determination, resolution, and the courage. You have to have the courage to be able to do it. Yes, it is, uh, can be very frightening. Looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah, I think, oh, God, I wish I could go back and do all those things again I used to do. Why did I ever have to start meditating? Ruin my life, meditation. Can't enjoy the things I used to enjoy. <laughs> we put our confidence, we establish our, our confidence in just the, the little things of our experience, don't we? Say, when, when we're meditating now, we're not we're not uh, looking for anything great, but just the, the way things are, just the breath of the body, or the sound of silence, or the posture. It's humble. It's, it's a humble going forth. It's not kind of a brave, grand gesture of going out and, and jumping into an abyss, is it? It's, it's, it's in this little hum humbling experience of sitting and willingness to be with just just to, to be with nothing very important, to just sustain one's attention and trust in what one is doing with the breath or the silence, reflecting on the posture, being able to bear with the the uh, vicissitudes of the of the human heart, the things that come and go and change and arise and fall, and the comings and goings of all the different emotions and perceptions. Like some very humble creature who's just knowing that these things are guests, they come, what comes goes. It's not mine. You're, you're observing like a host watching a guest. Some of them are nice, some of them are 
terrible. But whatever comes goes. In the, you're, you're aware of the comings and goings. You're not saying, that. you're not making, you're not being caught up, fascinated by what comes, and therefore you're not being dis despairing when, when it goes. Because there is an awareness, a knowing of there's the a reflection on the impermanence, the anicca, of this conditioned experience of life. Patient watching, listening, learning from it all. And this life will bring up all our uh, suppressed feelings and unresolved problems. We want it to. We, we want, we, the, the purpose of monasticism isn't to, to run away and hide from the world and get away from problems, but to be able to, to live in a way that we have the courage and self-respect to confront and recognize suppressed feelings and emotions. Resentments, rage and anger, fears and desires. In this way of life, when things uh, do rise into your consciousness, uh, fears, uh, fear of one thing and anger, kind of strong resentments, rage, and bitterness that oftentimes appear into the consciousness. These are good signs when you're willing to, to, uh, to accept them as a conscious experience. That's why with Jitanupasana meditation, you're, 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 you're looking at that 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 feeling of not analyzing it but recognizing this is this is the way it is this is the feeling that's in my mind now you're willing to to not try to judge it you're willing to accept it not try to figure it out in the on the from your conditioned mind but to let it kind of teach you let it kind of be the way it is and to bear with it, to endure its, its rather maybe frightening qualities or irksomeness or unpleasantness in its, in its presence. To me that's a, a very, very uh, peaceful reflection because uh, if we can't do this then life is an endless, it's going to be a, 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 a very difficult experience for us all. If we can't see things clearly and understand things as, as they are, then life as a human being is just an endless kind of difficulty and burden, endlessly, endlessly difficult, burdensome, and, and frightening, boring, and tedious, and onerous. 
uh, want to commit suicide. You know, people sometimes think suicide is the best way out when you get out of the whole thing. Because it seems so kind of never-ending, ongoing misery. But when once, when you can actually see that feeling that life is, is horrible and ongoing misery, and there's never any end to this oppression, oppressive feeling of, and this burdensome uh, feeling that one is, that's in one's heart, when you can be aware of that as a condition of the heart, the mind, as jitta you're looking at the jitta, recognition, and it, it just has that appearance. It feels like that. It feels like life is a terrible experience full of, uh, it's burdensome and difficult and I can't stand it. That's how it it might appear. That's how it feels. And if we just dismiss it, now I shouldn't feel like that. After all, you know, uh, we should we should be positive. Think pink. Uh, life is a is a bowl of cherries. Life is a bed of roses. Life is a bed of cherries. Or we could kill ourselves and get just better slit my throat, cut my wrist, take a, some kind of potion, get out of the whole thing. That's not going forth. That's called uh, the chicken syndrome. Chickening out. Sometimes I like to just imagine all the worst things happening to me. Uh, mine, I like to possibility of everything absolutely horrible happening to me all at the same time. What if, what if life became absolutely horrendous and, and uh, you know, you, you find you, you have cancer and uh, everything goes wrong, you're thrown out of the monastery, uh, nobody wants you, you're diseased, out in the cold, uh, hungry and alone, old, dying, in pain, hated and rejected, blamed for all kinds of things. Then you think of just that as a, as a, one, one feels that, that one, that doesn't really, uh, if you see it as jitanupasana, it's just the, the way it is. One isn't asking for favors or for appreciation or for life to be fair anymore or for to be understood or to be loved by anyone else or to be uh, accepted and promised and guaranteed and everything secured and made safe. Well, something, we don't care about that anymore doesn't matter. Don't ask, don't demand anything from any, anyone. It doesn't matter if nobody loves me, if I'm sick, have cancer, AIDS, leprosy, hepatitis, arthritis, bronchitis, virus, all kinds of new age diseases, all at the same time. 
the opportunity to observe the jitta and the, the rupa vedana, the gaya, gaya nupasana, veda nupasana, jitta nupasana, tama nupasana, four foundations of mindfulness are all present. I think if you had leprosy, you think, oh, God, be terrible. I mean, your nose falls off and your fingers fall into the soup and all the kind of, imagine, you know, this fingers fall into your alms bowl. And <laughs> You've seen lepers. Some of them really look awful in, in uh, Asia. Hideous. Or when I thought I had elephantiasis, my, my right foot, they used to think I, was, I had elephantiasis. And I remember when I was in India, I was riding on a train through Putna and I saw this man, Indian man with elephantiasis. He had these enormous legs, two enormous elephant legs, <laughs> scaly and scabby, huge, kind of hideous. That's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to have legs like that. I thought, oh, that's fine. I can watch them get swell up. <laughs> no, I mean that might sound like bravado, but it is a reflection, isn't it? And then if if one's nose caves in and fingers fall into the soup, and that one could one could see that as a kind of ruination of one's life or terribly humiliating, and you know, how can you ever possibly want me around, you know, with, with a nose, without a nose and fingers that have fallen off, and, and the idea of leprosy or elephantiasis and the huge ugly legs. But yet, in uh, and one, one sees that, that that isn't really, that needn't be a problem, that even the worst uh, things that can happen to us are not obstacles to enlightenment. Because one can actually see this feeling of fear as, a, as an object. You see, I can't stand it. I can't, if, I, if that ever happens to me, I won't be able to stand it. We can see that whole, that, that mood, that attitude, as an object. And when we are willing to look at it objectively, its power and gravity falls away. Nothing, nothing much, it doesn't mean anything anymore because we're not giving it any meaning. We're not making it important. We're not reacting. We're not hanging on. So it's a, it's a kind of miraculous ability, really, to be able to just, to, to to contemplate, reflect on the, the mood or the, the heart, your own heart, the feeling of life, the anxiety, the worry, the sense of the lingering kind of pain and, and, and uh, discontentment. Just be able to, to notice it as an object. Like with the uh, last evening, with all the kind of with the water shut off and the, the oh, I've got to, you know, put all these fires on and heat this and try to keep the taps running and 
You know, there's cold weather, and there's kind of worrisome things, all this plumbing and toilets and basins and bathtubs and showers in this place. And then in there's kind of a sala with the, and you keep it warm, and the tea bar and the pipes, and the, think of all this going on. And, and then to stand back and just look at that feeling of being harassed or having to keep it all together, of just trying to endlessly check out the water pipes and, and, uh, and this feeling of being, of having, of being responsible, of having to keep it all functioning and trying to stop it from freezing and prevent pipes from bursting. And one can suddenly just look at that whole, that whole aromana or mood of the mind that is, that is caught into this We've got to do this, and got to do that, and if this happens and that happens, and what will we do if the pipes burst? And what the, that whole feeling of being kind of oppressed and and responsible for all this, you can actually observe. It's that way, and when you when you stand back and look at it, you don't feel oppressed by it anymore. At least I don't. If, I mean, from my experiments and practice with this, is it just? I start feeling the sense it's all right, even if it all collapses, the whole thing blows up, all the pipes burst, whatever. It's not that important. Not, it's not important to make life into a lot of trouble and to endlessly worry about the possibilities of it going wrong. I think some things go wrong, some things go right, just the way it is. And this idea, we've got to get this place so that whatever happens, you know, blizzard, snow, storm, ice age, ice cap, uh, or the greenhouse effect, Sahara Desert, uh, everything dries up, no water. We've got to make sure that somehow Amarbhati is prepared for all possible contingencies. We've got to make sure all the pipes are lagged and that everything is a, a whole new kind of system put in, guaranteed to last a thousand years uh, and will, and guaranteed to be able to endure through all possibilities of climatic changes. That's what I want for Amravati. Find the, find the right man, the organization, that can get me this kind of system. We can buy it for Amravati, which Amarvati is guaranteed to last a thousand years, uh, and, <coughs> which is certainly longer than any of us expect to be here, <laughs> in which uh, the heating system, the water supply, and everything will be, will, will never have any hiccups or any problems, uh, no matter if it's wintertime, summertime, ice age conditions, or or uh, greenhouse effect. Or somehow we manage to get by anyway, don't we? It's amazing how we, we, we are kind of resilient creatures and manage to survive all kinds of catastrophes. So trying to prop up the material world and bend it and, and uh, force it and compel it to fit our uh, in the, uh, fears and desires is, uh, is, is the way to misery and despair. 
because it's a waste of time to try to 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 hold on to everything is is trying to hold on to to like thin air or soap bubbles or things that that uh, once you really look at that very grasping tendency you find out you have nothing even when you think you're grasping something you're grasping at nothing substantial just an an idea a prejudice or a something ephemeral and, and insubstantial. You end up with nothing. You end up with a, with a, with the tension and of a grip and uh, this endless kind of grasping tendency, which makes life really very, very unpleasant. To always be holding on, trying to keep things under control, trying to make things right, trying to force situations, trying to to own and possess, keep and save, and and that is is the experience of soka paritevatukatomanasupayasa. If you really look at that feeling of despair, anguish, and and uh, frustration, exasperation is due to this to to grasping, trying to hold on to to ideas, to things that is being trusting, even in the even in the darkest night, in the seemingly most hopeless, most frightening, terrifying situation, one is supported by faith. And that faith comes through reflection on Dhamma, understanding things as they are. It comes through understanding suffering, not through trying to get away from suffering or get out of suffering. It's through understanding suffering that faith arises or that one realizes faith. Thinking of dramatic possibilities for my life, of being and being blamed for things and, and being uh, persecuted, crucified on a cross or tortured or, or kind of the more dramatic endings to one's life and probably how I'll end up is just get old and fade away like old monks do, just trying to pack up. And then, you know, remember when Arjun Samedo when he was 56 years old and you know, kind of zapped to him, you know, and you see now look at him, just kind of toothless and caved in, sitting over there. <laughs> He's 96 now. <laughs> well, not, wasn't crucified, wasn't ostracized, wasn't thrown out, wasn't blamed for anything. Wasn't treated on very good. <laughs> Life is like this. You get old, and uh, the body gets kind of does does it degenerate? Natural way of fading out of the conditions. Ninety-six is not that far away. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Tonight is uh, we continue our peace vigil and be vigilant. The Gulf War still is going on. It's not. Uh, it's talking now. It's going to last much longer than they thought. It can quite kind of with all their impressive weaponry and all that, they couldn't quite. Uh, um, and you know, get in and destroy everything as and, and, uh, as easily as they thought. Saddam Hussein still maintains his stuff, so he's he's not going to give in one one inch. And he talks a lot about sacrificing millions of people. He doesn't talk about himself sacrificing himself. Millions of his own people, quite quite willing to sacrifice them. I think it'd be better if he just sacrificed himself. Get it over with quickly, wouldn't it? Just say, why don't you just uh, slit your own throat? <laughs> Save. Or become a... Uh, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's led too a bit horrible a life to become a Buddhist monk, but we might be able to put him in a kind of uh, sub-anagarika yeah. <laughs> toilet cleaner oh. he needs humbling but, but I don't think he would see the value of that besides Islam if you change your religion is the worst thing you can do worse than killing millions of your own people So, this is, but the world is like this. Humanity is like this, isn't it? You hear about the, you know, the, uh, we can idealize the Iraqis and the, and the people that are being killed, the innocent people being slaughtered and, and all that. But still, when you, when you look at humanity, it's, it's still pretty primitive and, and selfish and uncivilized. It's easy, isn't it, how easily we, how, how superficial civilization really is. How easily we, we resort to brutality and, and selfishness. It's not, it's our kind of uh, veneer, a thin veneer of civilization. It's merely a cosmetic appearance. But say, to really, to really develop the human heart, that's rare. Isn't it? That's very rare in the in the world at this time. Things like this, said everybody. This is extremely rare that any any um, that human beings would bother doing this to develop those virtues and that wisdom, ability to see and understand Dhamma. It's a very rare uh, thing that happens. Most people are into hate, hating and blaming and going up and down on the emotional plane. So, when you hear about the Jordanians coming out of their mosque shouting, Saddam, why don't you use your chemical bombs on the Israelis and the Americans? You know, these are pious Muslims coming out of the mosque uh, 
praising the use of horrible chemical weapons on human beings. You think, there are these monsters, those people. And yet we realize here in Britain the kind of footballer mentality in this country, the the uh, redneck, American redneck, or the the yob, or whatever in in Britain, isn't it? Let's kill them and kill the wogs and and kill the niggers and all that kind of thing. And uh, remember, some in, when I was a young man, people saying. I'm not, I don't have any kind of race prejudices, but I think I ought to take all the niggers and ship them back to Africa. <laughs> I'm not racial prejudice, but I have none of that. But they don't belong here. Well, maybe we could just take one state and put them all in there. They have their own state, and they won't bother us. I mean, people, kind of middle-class white people actually have said things like that, think like that. Nothing surprises me. Of how the stupid thoughts that, that people can have, people I know, people I grew up with. Or another example. Said one time when I was, I had this very passionate love affair with a Japanese girl. My mother was very upset and said, God wanted the races separate. He didn't want them to mix. And I said, well, if that was the case, he did a pretty rotten job of it because we're certainly attracted to each other and mixing certainly. <laughs> If he didn't want us to mix, why did he make it possible that we can do so? You see cats and dogs? Yeah, they don't mix. They don't have breed. You can't get a, a cat and a dog to get married to each other and breed. Kind of half cat, half dog. Mulattoes. He said, well, um, 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 but... <laughs> You know, kind of spurious uh, logic and and just prejudices and, and not well thought out, not well, not good reflections on Dhamma. We, we operate from very stupid biases and prejudices. And we can really be quite insensitive, brutal and, and uh, horrible to each other just because of that. Uh, for example, uh, when I was in India last year, uh, the people I stayed with in Darjeeling, they were the manager of the tea garden. He and his wife were Kashmiri Brahmins. They were, even though they'd never really lived in Kashmir because the, because they uh, they fled, uh, they lived on those border areas around the Punjab and that, that became Pakistan. <laughs> They were telling me how, how during the partition of Pakistan and India, how the blood that flowed, people that had known each other, lived with each other, Muslims and Hindus, and had lived in towns and villages next door to each other and gotten along quite well for centuries, suddenly started killing each other, bludgeoning each other. It was just horrendous. 
that human beings could do that to each other, who had been quite good neighbors before. What is it that, that in us that does that? I've often wondered. Why can we just turn on somebody just because they say, you're a Muslim and I'm a Hindu? What in us, what is, what is it that's so evil in our hearts that, we're, that we could kill somebody with the idea that they're because they're a Muslim or a Hindu? or a black man or whatever. It's something very kind of demonic, isn't it? We're quite easily trans transformed into demons, human beings. When the conditions for, for becoming demons is possible, we become that way, unless we have awakened to Dhamma. This awakening to Dhamma, to this idea, this, this, this means seeing things and understanding truth, seeing things as they are, understanding truth. This is the greater possibility, the great opportunity for a human, for a human being, but not many people really see it as being of value at all. We'd rather wage wars and kill off the, the other side that's in the way or the, the side that we, we believe is evil or wicked. And so the Saddam Hussein, is, they want to kill him. They'd love to kill him. The United States would love to just hope that he gets murdered and done that because he fits the role of being an evil, evil force in the world kill the devil. But it's not Dhamma, is it? It's not, it's not from understanding Dhamma that those kind of thoughts arise. Those thoughts arise from, from avicca, bhajaya-sankara, from ignorance. Remember one time in, in uh, Ashok, in, in Thailand, in, when they had the student rebellion. I think that was in 19... What, 75? 76. 1976. And there's this Thai lady I know in Bangkok, very sweet, motherly, uh, pious Buddhist. And she, 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 she goes around all over Thailand looking for poor monks and monasteries that don't have anything. And then she arranges all her wealthy friends in Bangkok to to take uh, things to these uh, poor uh, monasteries they go on so you know they're like very far north or south or all over the northeast do very good work husband is, a, is an army general air force general but when this student rebellion happened I, I went to see her and she and uh, it so frightened her this disruption of the status quo that she she actually for a moment she became even demonic about you know just wanting to kill the students the students who wanted to destroy the government she wanted to kill them personally and kind of almost demonic uh, mood came over her when she talked to me it was absolutely kind of shocking to see 
uh, this kind of nice lady suddenly with this kind of demonic uh, mood wanting to, to, to get rid of those awful students, those people who were going to destroy Thailand according to her view. So it's a very kind of good-hearted, uh, devout Buddhist can even turn into a demon. But you can't become demonic if you, if you, uh, if you really see the Dhamma. And that's why the refuges are in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. It's not in, in Buddhism that we take refuge. It's not in Theravada Buddhism or Thai Buddhism or, or uh, the, very, the traditions, but in Buddha Dhamma Sangha which is something very real, very profound, which transforms us from taking us out of that realm of becoming demons and or any other form toward that transcendent realization in which things are seen clearly and known for what they really are and no longer uh, tainted with the passion, defilement, One time, I, my father, I saw a really frightening mood when when uh, my sister's uh, youngest son was a kind of demon, demonic character, and, and uh, my father said was witnessed one time when he he was a kind of a, a kind of a sociopath, criminal, a thief, a kind of. Uh, a burglar and so forth and my one day the police came to arrest him and my sister's home my father was there and there's a terrible scene with the police taking away uh, my sister's son my sister absolutely uh, you know distraught and and really uh, completely uh, you know in grief stricken over this and my father watching this and he said and he kind of looked at me and he said and then I wanted to kill him and I saw this really kind of demonic look and glint in my father's eyes and then wanting to kill this this horrible boy that this, this, his grandson or distressing his daughter like that and the look in my father's eye was quite was 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 a demonic look, and that flash—it was only a flash, but it was it was ugly. It was an ugly thing, an ugly moment, an ugly flash of wanting to kill. And we have these, don't we? We all have this these kind of demonic possibilities <coughs> and I can certainly I'm certainly not exempt in my life there's certainly been moments of demonic possession or flashes of, of that in my experience of life but this is the say the refuge now I trust in the refuge that's where I have my faith that's where I 
find peace, not in trying to to get rid of evil or to try to control situations or try to you know be use power to to uh, to um, make things happen for my own welfare or benefit. No longer is there any any interest in that kind of behavior. One only sees it as motivated out of ignorance and taking one only to despair. The result is is despair. Sokaparateva tukatomana supayasa. So even what we consider ourselves civilized, don't we? European people and American people think of themselves as being very civilized, but that civilization is very shallow, not to be trusted. It's very shallow, it's like like just a like lipstick and powder and eye shade. This kind of flecks that cover cover the surface and give appearance of glamour. It has, doesn't go deep, doesn't have any depth to it, civilization. Because we easily become very, we easily resort, we, uh, resort to brutality and evil forces when easily get pulled into demonic possession and into kinds of barbar- barbarism. But the thing that runs deep and has a profound transmuting effect on a human life is understanding the Dhamma. Seeing things as they are. Having that insight, profound, deep insight into truth from the ordinariness of daily life. When we talk about deep and profound insight, we're not talking about fantastic experiences uh, that happen, but more and more the just the understanding of life as it in, in its most insignificant forms of daily life experience. So I offer this for your reflection. <coughs> 